Hello, I'm wondering if you have a copy of Job Seeker's Handbook. Oh, you do? Good. Could you keep it for me? My name? Oh, yes. It's J.R. Ledyard. Hello and welcome to the shenanigans and utter shambles that is Gareth Jones on Speed Season 7. Nice to have you with us. I'm Gareth, he's Richard. Hello. He's Zog. Hello. And we apologise for the small gap that there's been recently. We had a technical problem. There are two video episodes. I refer to them as the lost episodes, Richard. As though, you know, when we get these it will show aspects of the series that have never been enjoyed I previously. thought you were calling it that because you lost them. There is that as In well. In an actual horrendous drive crash, which we probably shouldn't remind you of, otherwise you'll... Speed kills. It's traumatic. It's traumatic. Excessive speed causes um, drive crashes. That's all I'm saying. So, gentlemen, how nice to see us all. Should we talk about Formula One for a moment, even though there's been no racing? Government hmm. Lotus, maybe. Yeah, it, it, is, it is the headline. If we really think about this, I was trying to weigh this up. What is the stuff that genuinely occupies our minds in Formula One more than any other aspect of the build-up to the new season? And I have to say, it's the Lotus versus Lotus nonsense. The thing that occupies my mind most in the lead of the F1 season is what bet I'm going to make with Stevie about the season. <laughs> we always end up coming up with some kind of point of contention, something that we don't quite agree on. Is Hamilton going to be Delonto this year or whatever it might be? We have a bet on it and I'm giving that some thought at the moment. So uh, that's, that's interesting. That's, uh, I wonder where the money's going to be. Is it on who gets to keep the Lotus name? I hope it doesn't get settled very soon because I'm enormously enjoying the shambles <laughs> that is everyone's lotus. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, As yeah. you did a little video clip of, it's I am Spartacus all over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nonsense. But yeah, brilliant it, nonsense. It's yeah. a sh- I mean, yeah, it, it is a shame that there's this sort of unseemly scrapping and quarrelling over the lotus name. But The weird thing is, I believe, that they both have about the same claim <laughs> on being called Lotus at the moment. I'm finding it very difficult. I have no instinct. I have an allegiance to Lotus cars because I love their road cars and I've driven their road cars. Well, I, you I know, it's a fantastic British sports car brand, you know, yeah. with real racing heritage. And uh, Well, yeah, I, although the current management of Lotus road cars doesn't seem to love their road cars and is uh, trying to replace them all. Bonkers. He wants uh, seven bonkers. And how many racing cars did they also oh, release? Six. Six, six racing six cars. at the Autosport show recently. So. This is, we've said this before, Danny Baja, who's in charge of Lotus, who's launching things faster than the Apollo space program of the 1980s. And we've probably... Apollo Apollo Space Program of the 1980s. Sorry, 1980, the Apollo Space Program. That? That we have to the, the Apollo Space Program of the 1960s. Thank you. Sorry, my brain. I, um, you'd never forgive yourself if you let that go on. No, on. thank you, Zog. Yeah, that'll save me an edit. There you go. Yeah. It's kind of bonkers. Lotus cars have gone bonkers, but do they have a claim to being in Formula One as Lotus cars? Yes. Can that be through the Lotus? Renault team by acquiring ownership of a very complicated deal, maybe but at the same time I have enormous respect for what the lads from Hingham did where Lotus, or perhaps Lotus Racing as they should be called, where they're based I think they've done a fantastic job and uh, you know, what did they do wrong that means that they can't be Lotus anymore? Did they do anything wrong? My feeling was really that they didn't do anything terribly wrong last year. In fact, if anything, I thought they did a really respectable job 
given what kind of budget they had, yeah. given the constraints they were working within. And the speed at which they turned um, around their bed. That was unbelievably short time. Six weeks or something stupid. Yeah, and it seems like they've had a slightly raw deal in that the ambition of the Lotus Car Company to get its new racing plans going, yeah. they just don't see what was Lotus in F1 being the kind of team that they can really work with, I guess, or they really want to go forward with and they want to do it all themselves. And just seems a bit of a shame because it seemed like Mike Gascoigne and others had done a respectable job given their constraints. And it's a shame that they haven't been able to carry it on. What do you think, Richard? Who's the real Lotus? Oh, I don't know. Really? I'm not sure there is a real Lotus anymore. I've lost faith in the whole Lotus thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's done damage, hasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Where does the heart and soul of Lotus lie? What is that anyway? I don't know. So many questions. And yet, ultimately, I suppose the road car bit, I'm distracted by and then the racing bit I've never really regarded them as properly Lotus anyway we always because Lotus. it all emanated from one place originally it was all from the one team slash car company headed by Colin Chapman well this is the thing arguably since Colin Chapman died and since that era you know Lotus just hasn't been the same operation it hasn't been the same single source as Ferrari I mean, was of you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you know I, the same people building the road <laughs> the same people building the road cars and the racing yeah. cars and I suppose the thing is that it, it was uh, it was what are you doing I just thought something bear with me on this the Lotus position, as Zog's just described, reminds me of something which happened to me this week. I went to see Big Country play a gig. Yeah. Right. Would this be Big Country without Stuart Adamson, who died? Stuart died a, a few years ago, Does yeah, it but it was Big Country. But it had Mike Peters as the lead singer. Mike Peters from The, from Alarm. the Alarm. My mate. I went along and I thought, look, there's always been this... Bear with me, <laughs> seriously. There's always been this crossover where you've got the alarm over here like a bunch of five-finger tendrils and then another bunch of five-finger tendrils, which are big country. And there's a whole crossover area in the middle where the edges are really blurred. So I went along to see this and Mike did a fantastic job with big country. It was... Now, this is the crux of the matter. I'm going to talk about cars any second now. Bear with me, right? It was big country. There was no doubt about that. Big fat Tony on bass and... Uh, Inverted commas, guitars that sound like bagpipes. Guitars that sound like bagpipes. They kind of don't really, but... Uh, no, no. You just can't, can't get away from that. that. Mark Brzezicki, the drummer, and Bruce Watson playing guitar, and his son, Jamie Watson, filling in for the parts that Stuart would have played, and Mike Peters singing at the front. And it was big country, but it had a big element of... The alarm about it, it sounded like the alarm in a way I'd never heard before. This is what's happened at Lotus, right? There was a Lotus. That was the Colin Chapman Lotus. There are now Lotuses. There are now Lotus tribute bands yeah. showing the company <laughs> all over the place. Oh, it's uh, but it's not tribute bands. It's a blurring of the edges between the alarm and big country. A blurring of the edges between racing Lotus, group Lotus, mm. Lotus racing team gold, Lotus that, classic gold, Lotus Baja. It's That's <laughs> the thing, but I would argue that most successful Formula One teams have extremely crisp edges. And Well, I think you're right. Yeah. It's an IP explosion. Yeah. And this is what I think is the reason for this take the name lotus it has massive significance in southeast asia the lotus blossom is in culture in a way that it perhaps isn't here in the uk and it's no coincidence that the custodian of lotus are a southeast asian company in terms of proton 
Mm. And the custodian of Lotus Racing is a Southeast Asian company in terms of Tony Fernandez mm. and Air Asia and his holding group. Now, in Southeast Asia, ownership of IP is not as nailed down as it is here in the mm. UK. Yeah. And this is why I think we've ended up in this situation. Lotus Group were managing their IP as well as perhaps they could have done and have allowed this bubble, this blister, to occur. Because copyright don't mean diddly in several oh, no, That influences the culture, I think. I don't think that's true, because surely what happened was that Lotus absolutely were dealing with the protection of their brand, of their IP, as you would expect them to. They licensed the use of the name to a Formula One team in 2010, and they've basically changed their minds about what they want to do with the brand in F1 in the future. We're talking about, you know, brand Lotus and how we've got this affection for it, some respect for it, and, you know, I think that, that's a very wide yeah, yeah. But actually that doesn't carry you all that far, because in the end what you really care about is performance on the track, and you care about, actually, you know, if, you, if you're into the sport, you pretty soon overlook the fact that something has a particular name attached to it, and you have to get down to the nitty-gritty of... How well is this car performing? You're getting excited by something like Adrian Newey, you know, the geek who is obsessively designing the most fantastic racing car. You, so, do you know what I think? I'm saying you have to perform. You've it. suggested something that we'd perhaps forgotten about that we love the soap opera, we love the industry, and we love the theatre that is Formula One. We'd actually forgotten it's a competitive sport. The best competitor will be the one that survives. It's a model for business in its competition. There endeth the first lesson. And this, children, is the lotus flower, the most sacred symbol of Southeast Asia. And this here... is also called the lotus flower. But that's not the same as the first one at all. They are completely unrelated. That's just stupid and confusing. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, Metrol! We got a on speed! Yo, yo, this is Detroit coming at you live on Gareth Jones on speed. Is that what the Detroit Motor Show sounds like? I've never been there. Have you been to the Detroit Motor Show? I haven't, but I'm going to guess it doesn't sound like that. Okay, I, I right. Would yeah. say, yeah. on reflection. Does it sound more like... A big empty room! I think, think it was supposed to have done last year. It was meant to be really depressing last year. <laughs> yes. Everything was going horribly wrong. And this year it was filled with a sense of optimism. And the big three were sort of doing things again and going, OK, well, we're still here. <laughs> Who knew? And then, um, and then they were doing their best to make sure they stay here. However, I suppose the big three were sort of slightly, in terms of the coverage over here at least, slightly dwarfed by... For me, I think it was the star of the show. Which is all the uh, the Porsche 918 RSR, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It's fantastic. I think this is one of those rare Gareth Jones on speed moments where all three of us, for pretty much the same sort of reasons, have to pay utmost respect to the birth of a very, very interesting new real car. A moment's silence for the beauty of the 918, please. That's probably enough. Yeah, right. I think um, so. No, because yeah. when that 918 Spider was shown at Geneva Motor Show last year, I sort of thought, yeah, okay, interesting. I don't know. It didn't wow me as much as seemingly everyone else. So they, they weren't doing enough with it. What disappointed me was 
the fact that I would have liked the kind of step that Porsche was going to take to have been more biased toward the electric side of the drivetrain than the internal combustion engine side and still having a V8 and it seems to be a rather um, a bit old-fashioned really when they're taking that otherwise big step into the future. With the benefit of a bit more time I thought maybe I was being a bit huffy and purist a bit silly because it's staggeringly beautiful. If you were to have that car just for the sake of argument you know mm. if, if you or I had that car and we're using it around town Actually, because of the nature of that hybrid drivetrain, 90% of the driving that I would be doing around town and, you know, short trips, most of it would be almost entirely electric. So I'd be getting the max benefit of the electrical side of it and the greater economy. And if I do want to blast down the Westway, then I've got that stonking V8 to shove me at some insane rate of knots. And you'd have company. You've got a Dalek in the passenger seat. Ah, Have you well, seen that? Well, no, okay, I'm coming on to that. I'm coming on oh, to that. Coming, RSR, well, on the RSR. Yeah. We should just explain, of course, for anyone who hasn't caught up, the 918 RSR that Porsche unveiled at the Detroit Motor Show is the racing version, and it's going to go racing. And I think it's probably going to be out this year at the Nürburgring 24-hour race, I think. Wow. Um, I don't know. Well, there was well, speculation that that might be the case. But it has but, Kerr's, effectively. Yeah, it has this Williams-developed Kerr's system, the flywheel Kerr's system, and it's sitting in the passenger seat. And quite apart from the fact that there's this wonderful 918 RSR, hopefully ready to go racing this year, I looked at the press picture of that flywheel assembly in what is otherwise the passenger seat, and I thought, back to the future. It's R2-D2. <laughs> no, it, you know, it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's the flux right. capacitor. No, no, I think it's it, back to the future. It's the back to the future. I'll be it, honest, it, I it, looked at it in the passenger seat and then read that it does something like 36,000 revs per minute and thought, <laughs> if that goes wrong, that's going to hurt. Oh, yeah. It's going to hurt bad. But you won't know about but, it, will you? Probably not. Head, gone. Well, yeah, you're sitting next to a grenade. We have decided but, to choose some small drivers, so the clearance for the uh, flywheel to spin off is above the head. Alan McNeish has been chosen, obviously, and uh, we have Johnny Herbert. But think of the amount of explosive energy that's in the back of your car when you've got a full tank of petrol. Okay, this is true. Yeah, I'm sure they've thought about this whole vastly high-spinning flywheel being next to you type thing. I'm sure they have. That said, I would actually like to read a bit more about just how the safety insurance comes with it. Well, one of the kinds of accidents that you do get in jet airliners Mm. is the thing where a turbine blade, Mm -hmm. the turbines are spinning at insane rates... A blade snaps off, and when you get a blade falling off a turbine spinning at that rate, you know it punches its way out of the engine, out of the casing, and all the way through the aircraft fuselage. Mm. It's just a matter of luck whether it goes through the fuselage or just goes off into the atmosphere. Through Swindon. But yeah. in this, we've and got a very different kind of mass spinning. No sharp blades, very lightweight sharp blades. They're spinning quite a heavy piece of precious metal, aren't they? Well, the, yeah, they're spinning a much smaller, denser thing, so you've got a much more compact package. But nonetheless, you've got a lot of energy in that spinning thing. Necessarily, mm-hmm. it's no good if it's not storing a lot of energy. The whole reason that they're going for a flywheel-based system is that it gives them better energy density. You mm. Basically, you need less mass in the car to store the amount of energy that you would otherwise be pumping into a battery system. Mm. And so you've still got, bound up in the angular momentum of that lump, a lot of energy in that thing. And, you know, we shouldn't harp on too much about how likely it is the chance of these things breaking and exploding, Mm. because it's not that likely. They wouldn't be building that thing if they weren't very confident of its safety. But I guess we're talking about how this is something that inevitably comes to mind. Yeah, you do 
naturally worry about what happens if the bearing breaks. Well, I because worse than that, gonna... yeah, you don't want to think about those kind of forces hurling through your cabin. Worse than that, though, if you park it and get out and leave the rotor spinning, you know, if only one of your brakes on the car will just pirouette, it will process <laughs> around the brake wheel like that. <laughs> oh no, I can't get in. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you get into a car that's spinning at I don't know thirty three RPM? Or, uh... <laughs> but anyway, flippancy about the kinetic energy system in that car aside if you haven't seen it just type Porsche 918 RSR into the internet because you should see it it's a stonking looking thing oh, it's brilliant it's in golf colours as well which as we've discussed on the show before <sighs> makes mm. everything a thousand percent better yeah. oh yeah yeah. although there was some suggestion that actually this, the combination of blue and orange was a result of you know the orange is just the orange that they use on their hybrid projects now oh, it's, 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 it's orange really is their nice. hybrid colour <laughs> <it's laughs> we don't care brown. it's blue and orange it's blue it's, and orange uh, yeah uh, and it's got a number 22 on it, referencing the winning 917, driven, I think, by Helmut Marco. Le Mans 1971, was it? Set a distance record? We can check that for we you. We can check are. that. But anyway, it's, it's re- referencing uh, uh, Le Mans winning Porsche. Uh, oh, and we love it. We love it. Go check yeah. it out. Welcome to Le Mans 2012. The flag drops and they're off! And straight away, the Porsche 918 RSR spears off of the start-finish straight. He must be doing 87, maybe even 88 miles per hour. And I can tell you that the 1955-24 hour of Le Mans promises to be quite a race. The number six Jaguar D-Type and the number 23 Aston Martin trailing a really quite extraordinary looking Porsche machine that I have never seen before. And I have a sudden urge to make sure that my parents meet. Wait, Scott! Gareth Jones on speed. As we lurch into the hinterlands between the end of the last season and the launch of the new cars and the beginning of testing for Formula One, the only thing that keeps me going personally is the memory of the cars I've driven recently until we get some racing. I had a lovely Renault Sport Megan 250 Cup, Hmm. but more on that over the series perhaps, I think. But you had... I can't wait to say this because it does make me very happy knowing you had this. Listen to what you had. The Aston Martin Rapide. That's the only name it has, isn't it? There's mm. no... There's That's no, what it's called, yeah. yeah. For how long yeah. and where did you go? Well, I had it for a couple of weeks. It's a long story, but essentially, because I write a column for Evo magazine and I said something quite rude about Aston Martins in there and how... The, it's not like you. All <laughs> going, yeah, I know. What was I thinking? I just said that all their current cars are a bit disappointing. You've said that on this show, to be fair. Yeah, I have. And I would stand by that in as much as I don't think the DB9 when it came out was good enough. I don't think the V8 Vantage when it came out was good enough. I did actually, after I'd written that thing in Evo, I drove a V12 Vantage very briefly on a track when I was in the US doing the Top Gear over there and thought it was stonking and thought... Oh, aye, aye, you know, maybe Aston's right. But the gear lever was appalling because it's this massive, it's like grasping a robot's head. It's stupidly big metal gear lever. And I wrote a whole column about this in Evo then saying that it was a good car ruined by the gear lever. 
But you saw that car in context, perhaps, for the first time, by seeing it in America. No, no not really, because it's only available with a manual box, and they're not going to sell that many over oh, there. Oh, really? So actually, no. In fact, I seem to remember they weren't going to sell it in the States at all and hadn't bothered to sort of check that it was homologated oh, there. And then oh. enough Americans went, I'd like one, please, that they bothered. But mm. no, I think that's a very sort of European centric car, yeah. but it's very good. You can't fault it. I mean, certainly it's, it's a bit of an artificial environment driving it on the track, but it was just great. It was really well, But I'll, the fundamentals I'll, felt sorted out in it in a way that they aren't in a lot of the other ones I've driven. But anyway, their PR man went, you know, you haven't driven our very latest car. You probably should before you say any more. About, and he's just been very nice and very proactive about these things. And so he said, you should borrow a Rapide. And I went, oh, OK, then. And, uh, <laughs> if you insist. And he went, just let me know when, you, when you'd like. And I, I thought, well, um, I don't know. Have you got one spare over Christmas? And hmm. he went, yeah, we have, actually. So hey. It's built in Gratz in Austria, is it? It right? is, yeah, yeah. Holy? Well, how does it work? Do you know? Do they yes, it is it? completely. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But, well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, various bits come from various places because mm. I think the engine comes from Cologne. But it, it is the first of the modern Astons, the first Aston ever, I guess, is made abroad, wholly abroad, mm. apart from those like Zagato V8s okay. from the 80s and before we that. We love the them. Mm. Anyway, it's a rare honour to have a really, really groovy car like that for a couple of weeks over Christmas and we, Where you know, did we you did go? quite a lot of mileage. I went up north for Christmas and then went down to a sort of posho uh, spa hotel place in the West Country. When you say up north, you don't mean Alaska, you don't no, mean, I mean Norway. Scotland. It would have been quite nice to drive yeah. to Scotland in it and, and just for the sake of it, but no, just yeah. up to Cheshire. But I'll do. The thing is, and I'm not just saying this because I, you know, I was essentially sort of met head on by the PR offensive of Aston Martin but genuinely it's a very very good car it's the best Aston Martin I've ever driven there's a feeling that it's sort of properly sorted out and for the first of the modern Astons I've driven the first time the steering is a sort of a reasonable weight all of the other ones the steering's been far too heavy for no reason at all of course mm. they've got power steering they've got to you know got a walking great engine over the front wheels no one would accept one without but they always seem to have had the power steering turned down for reasons I can't figure, except that Aston is run by a German, and the Germans <laughs> always seem to have this perception that British cars should have heavy steering, because yeah. the Rover 75 yeah. was the same, the Mini's the same, yeah. the steering is a bit heavier than you expect. And it is disconcerting to have the steering mm. too light, I mean, I, you yes. know, and you need the feedback. Well, that's you, it. How much is that car? £186,000? £145,000, I think. £145,000. When you're paying that much for a car, you want to be able to feel it in the steering, you know, you, you yeah. do. It's I just it's it. one of those odd things that you don't really notice until it's wrong, that the steering weight was just sort of too mm. heavy compared compared to everything else and there didn't seem to be any need for it because actually yeah. it required you to put in a bit more effort just I mean it's a micro amount more effort you know, as long as you've got muscles in your arms but it's just all of the best cars match up every single weight you know when they did the original Ford Focus they even spent some time fretting over the weight of the rotary heater controls to make sure that they felt like they were of a, an appropriate weighting to match everything else in the car yeah. and that is one of the reasons why that car drove so great because of that kind of attention to detail but how pampered are we as car customers that the designers are faffing about the exact weight of the feel of the heater controls but it's Crikey. a cheap way of getting how a perceived uh, quality isn't it if you yeah. match it all it feels I think Volkswagen probably did that very well early on as well I know Ford did with the Focus it's a famous story, well that's the thing it? and Ford don't yeah, do these things lightly not because they're in it to make money yeah. but they did a lot of research on this and they did a thing I think where they got a bunch of Mondeos together and they'd set them all up differently you know some of them were deliberately calibrated in this way that suspension steering engine response deliberately sort of set up to be a bit rubbish and then some of them were set up in different ways to be closer to what the engineers would prefer to have and 
they found when they got a load of customers to drive them that even customers who had no real interest in cars or driving but had always had Fords could appreciate a car that was set up correctly Yeah. because mm. they couldn't necessarily express why but they just preferred they just liked it. it so Ford has worked out that it's worth putting the effort in because it actually makes people happy how much of Ford has left the engine is still two Mondeo blocks isn't it that V12 well, loosely, it yeah, was once I mean, yeah, thanks to Tom Wilkinshaw wasn't it still uh, same idea I don't know about that actually but it's I think I it may think, be anyway yeah. So yeah it was all from an Aston and part of Ford so anyway yeah very quickly just the Rapide is, uh, apart from anything else it just feels like it's been sort of more thoroughly developed in ways like like that the steering is the right weight you can push a button with a picture of a shock absorber on it to make the shocks stiffer and it makes it completely hopeless <laughs> it makes the ride far too stiff <coughs> but you just lose but that's the thing it's almost like they had the button there they thought they ought to do something with it because the standard tune is pretty much what's bang the, on what's the power output Richard? Uh, 6 litre V12 470 I don't know it's brisk enough it makes a very oh, really? loud noise when you start it up to the extent oh, does that it? I started it it has that preposterous little glass key now here's an interesting thing what, actually no, no, tell us about the glass key. Oh, it's called the emotion control unit. It's oh, you messed stud yeah. thing, right? Now, it's a solid billet of metal and glass with buttons set into it, and there's no hole in it, so you can't put a key ring on it. So every time you get it out of your pocket, you're paranoid that it's going to slip from your fingers and go oh. down a drain. Yeah, of course. And yeah. then you have to poke it into a hole in the dashboard and hold it in for the engine to start. Now, um, I thought this was utterly stupid. However, my wife, who's not particularly into cars, thought it was really, really cool and asked to hold the key just because she wanted to feel it. It's got a nice weight to it. You what's know. it called? So you realise it's called the emotion control unit. And what emotion did it invoke in you? Did it control your emotion? Slightly irritated, I think. <laughs> irritated? Irritated. But as you say... But that's the thing. But, but yeah, so you have to say, well, actually, how many cars do Aston want to sell to nerds like me? And how many do they want to sell to normal people who like groovy things like my wife? I guess you know, they probably got that right. I don't know. I think, actually, most cars of that ilk that cost 145 grand or whatever have keyless now. And this doesn't, conspicuously. You have to get the thing oh. in the pocket, push the unlock button, get in, push it into the dash it feels like it's a bit of a sort of last generation thing right. but that does yeah. not spoil the overall enjoyment of the car however best moment in the car oh well actually driving quite briskly across Salisbury Plain and being buzzed by an army helicopter <laughs> I think it just come <laughs> to have a look yeah because it just came in and sort of followed us and then, and then peeled off again can't do the last note for fear of yeah but no a load of moments including my next door neighbour who's this lovely American lady she came out when we were getting out of the car out the Aston one day and she was walking her dogs and she just went oh my gosh oh my god is this your car and then for like 10 minutes of her just telling us how she'd taken photos of it and put them on Facebook yeah. how they'd had friends around for New Year <laughs> well, and they'd all worked out backstories for why someone who lives on this street which let's be honest is not an Aston Martin calibre street had an Aston Martin and I think they'd settled on wealthy elderly relative come to stay for the festive season <laughs> but that's the thing and but she, yeah, that's, she that's her parting shot like she kissed yeah. her hand and then touched it on the car oh, oh yeah that's emotional it's amazing control. so here's the thing it, it really is but the only thing is the one thing I wanted to touch on is the fact that it is a terrific car now i think the problem is it's not hugely spacious for a saloon but it's slightly probably less sporty than a db9 so who's going to buy it because if you've got that kind of money i've always seen research from bentley and aston and people like that saying that their customers typically have sort of three other cars they yeah. have a range rover an s class and yeah. something else so who are they selling it to i don't know as it stands i'm not sure they are selling that many it's hard to know but what they've done is 
they decided to do a viral ad campaign. Oh, this is... I was yes. reminded of that by your Bond moment. Yeah. There. I was just going to say, the car may be great, but the viral oh, campaign... If you haven't seen this, go and search on YouTube. Search for True Power... What's it called? True power should be enjoyed in company. True power should be shared. True power should be shared. That's it. And it's uh, apparently a three-part sort of spy drama starring the Rapide. Shot by a nine-year-old. The phrase shockingly (laughs) does not cover it. It is... (laughs) Unbelievable. It's pedestrian. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's badly made, it's badly acted, it's badly written. It's just so clunky. It is like children have tried to make a Bond film or a Bourne yeah. film or something. Well, yeah, Clumsier like, than Lucas Degrassi. Uh, it's like a student <laughs> film. It's, it, it's, yeah. There's just no flair in the writing, the direction of it. It's staggering. The, You've got to recycle three, like a spy idea, yeah, which it sort of is... Uh, the three blokes who at the beginning and they get uh, told to introduce themselves and then told to say what their specialities are. And one of them says, driver. And one of them, I think he says, uh, fighting. Or something. No, that's the one who goes, weapon specialist and keen harpist. Oh, that's yeah. And you just go, oh, f- Really? And there's no hint of irony. There's no irony in it whatsoever. And so what saddens me is having two weeks in what turns out to be a superb car, I can't help thinking they've now made a really bad film that's undermining it. Well, I tell you what saddens me is that given that you had that car for a couple of weeks, in three days we could have made a better campaign than that for a lot less money. Yeah. Uh, Just like that. Just driven across Salisbury Plain with an army helicopter following. (laughs) It would have been more exciting than this absolute that Aston Martin have made. In the interests of balance, can I talk very briefly before we finish things here about a really good car advert? Have you seen on TV the Ford Grand C-Max advert where a guy walks into a virtual room and there's a chair and he folds it out and it's now a rear bench Uh, seat and then there's a second row and then there's one moment, he literally pulls a car out of nothing and it sort of appears before him the best moment is where he puts his hand into the invisible wheel well there and seemingly unwinds a 37 spoke wheel or something, deliciously satisfying, now that helps that car right yeah. let's hope that people considering buying a rapide don't ever need to go there and look at that who's um, that for you is my question the, the chap in that ford focus c-max advert is in fact a keen harpist <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to richard porter goodbye zog goodbye and me gareth jones on speed to send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>